Hello, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and let's go ahead and talk about a topic that will probably split your church. <laughs> Hopefully not. But anyway, I just wanted to really quick talk about can a Christian drink alcohol? And we're going to get in ins and outs of this. This is a deep study on the topic, so I, I'm probably going to irritate my church drunks and also irritate my dry, stuffy church folk. But I'm just kidding, by the way. But the whole point is I want to be lighthearted about this, but also be very biblical and very focused and objective on this, because I've actually... Uh, have had quite a few experiences with this in churches and dealing with it personally and how I how I handle it. And uh, first and foremost, I want to make sure we speak about how the Christian finds their truth. So the truth is first anchored in scripture. It's got to be anchored in that Bible. If it's not anchored in God's word, it's, it's useless, right? Or it's just a uh, conventional wisdom of man or people's opinions. And we can't, we can't focus there. We can't stay there because that's become subjective. God tells us what he wants in his word. He says what he means and he means what he says. So I'm not going to apologize by what his word says. And I think we can all agree on that first. But I want to first give you a little bit of background on how um, this came up first in my life. For those of you guys who don't know, I was raised an independent fundamental Baptist, which is a mouthful. So I think on this channel, I'll probably just say IFB for short. But anyway, I was raised very IFB and um, in that was definitely alcohol is a sin. And I was always told, you don't drink, you don't drink. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Yes, sir. And uh, that's evil. <laughs> All, only bad Christians drink. And that was my mentality. And then uh, my best friend growing up invited me over to his grandpa's house, who was a pastor. Uh, for Thanksgiving and everyone's you know feasting having a good time and suddenly uh, he comes in with in a bot with a bottle of wine and pops it open and starts pouring some wine for people and I looked at my friend and I was like dude what are we doing drinking why is there drinking and he just told me he's like yeah the Bible says not to be drunk not that you can't drink and I looked at him, I was like, no. And I, 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 him and I went back and forth, had a little like whispered debate over this, but I decided I'd keep my mouth shut uh, there because I didn't really know how to handle it. So I decided, I told, I told my friend that I was going to go, no matter what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to pull out every single Bible verse I can find and show him just how dumb he is for believing that the Christians can drink. And what I found was actually kind of surprising. Um, and I want to just really pour over through scripture. And I, since then, of course, I was like 16, uh, through my theological studies and now being a pastor myself, I've really gotten to the nitty gritty of this topic and I want to kind of really dissect it. So first off, there's definitely warnings of alcohol in scripture, definitely warnings from it. So I don't think there's any contention there, but let's at least start where, there's, where we have common ground that there's definitely warnings against it before we start saying anything else. So first off, warnings in scripture. There are endless amounts of warnings, especially in the book of Proverbs. If this topic has ever come up at your home, at your church, you will hear people quoting most of the verses I'm about to quote to you. And before we quote principle, uh, Proverbs, though, I want to mention these are principles. A lot of people take these as commands, express commands or promises of God, and they're not necessarily that. Some of them do quote those promises, sure, but promises and Proverbs are very different. So, uh, for example, the proverb, train up a child in the way he should go, for when he is old, he will not depart from it. That verse means, of course, that if you raise your child 
in the right way, that he should turn out okay, hopefully. But it's not a guarantee, right? We've all, we all know of a child who was raised in a good home, raised by good parents, and chose to rebel. So it's not a promise that will always be fulfilled. These are principles. In fact, uh, Proverbs means a short, pithy, or a wise saying. And so let's make sure we're understanding Proverbs correctly. These aren't promises, these aren't commands, these are wise pithies. So I think that can help us when we're dissecting this, making sure we have the right lens for our hermeneutic when we're looking at this. So anyway, the first verse is Proverbs 20, verse one. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. This one comes up a lot, but when you look into the Hebrew, the word led astray, or that little phrase led astray, is shagah, which is to stray, to sin ignorantly, but also used to be intoxicated. So this seems, this verse here alone would seem to be strengthening the side that you can't be drunk versus abstination from it. But let's continue. Proverbs 23, 20 through 21 says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them in rags. So pretty straightforward here. Be not among drunkards. So probably shouldn't be hanging out with a bunch of people getting wasted. Um, or among gluttonous eaters of meat. So <laughs> I guess I guess this is being fat. I suppose, like, don't be around fat people. They're bad. Just kidding. Don't take me out of context here, please. Anyway, Proverbs 23, 29 through 32 says this. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? This person is really messed up. Anyway, it's those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to dry mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red and when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder, which is of course a snake. So. First, for context sake, uh, when reading this, it's like, yep, there it is. You know, it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. But I want us to focus on what it says here. It first asks the question, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has redness of eyes? It says that those who tarry long. And now that is interesting. So that obviously is also supporting the case of, well, maybe you shouldn't be a drunkard right? Because you're not supposed to tarry long, not hanging out, constantly drinking and indulging it. And of course, Proverbs 31 verse 4 says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is for, not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. And of course, this is Solomon telling his son like, hey, you know, maybe if you're in leadership, maybe you shouldn't be getting, you know, drinking all the time because you need to have your wits about you. And again, these are wise sayings. Other verses, though, in Leviticus 10.9, uh, in the Levitical law, it says that we should not drink before entering the holy place. Leviticus 10.9, drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Context is important. It says drink no wine when you go into the tent of meeting. So, Specific, right there. Don't drink when you enter the tent of meeting. So again, this is a place to be sober, have your wits about you when you're going to the tent to worship Jesus Christ. Well, to them it was El Shaddai or you know Yahweh. Okay, they didn't know about the promise of Jesus yet. But anyway, 
getting off in the weeds. Nazarite vow in uh, number six says this in verses one through four. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from the wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes dry, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grape vine, not even the seeds or the skins. <laughs> this is intense. I'm just saying, I love grapes. Uh, I, can, I could not be a Nazarite. Also, I hate uh, hair touching my ears, so that wouldn't go well either. But the point is here is this is a vow of the Nazarite. The Nazarites have a lot of interesting vows. Like he, you can even touch something from the vine. You couldn't cut your hair, right? That was the whole thing with Samson. Don't touch the man's hair. Um, then also, you know, don't touch dead bodies, so you couldn't even eat the meat and stuff like that. So anyway, interesting stuff. But then we see, remember Proverbs 31, where he says, at the very beginning, where he says, oh, Lemuel is not for kings to drink. But then, just a couple verses later, Solomon says this, but give strong drink, so now he's commanding it, to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. So there are many more verses I could get into, but one thing is consistent throughout all of them is that only times drinking was forbidden was under very specific vows situations, certain times, or with certain types of people, and the rest expressed simply not to be drunk or intoxicated or obsessed with. So that was one of the things that started messing me up uh, growing up the way I did, because uh, this was, seemed to be contradicting my, my view. And the more you look into scripture, the more you actually do realize that its emphasis is only on drunkenness and being sober. I think that's why there is this divided topic in the church, because, you know, one, one people is going, well, the Bible warns against this stuff. And then the other people are saying, well, is this because you're not you know, it's just not being drunk. That's the thing. But you really do see some uniformity when you do understand it as such. And I'm going to get into this here. So also in the New Testament, it says first in first Peter four, three, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So right there, we see that Drunkenness and drinking parties are both considered parts of being um, uh, what the Gentiles do, or unbelievers. Galatians 5.21 says, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in Romans 13.13, 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So definitely some consistency here. Um, also, you're noticing that drunkenness is usually associated with sexual promiscuity, which I find to be interesting. So now the great question is, was it grape juice? That was what I was told. For all these years, I've sold those grape juice. But was it? So here's the thing. Interestingly enough, when the Bible mentions wine in the Old Testament, it, the word wine is yayin, which means from the root to boil up or to be fermented. And last I checked, fermentation was not grape juice. 
And this makes sense since their technology for preservation also was limited and there's a lot of other things there. Um, things tend to ferment, okay? Um, also, the Greek term in the New Testament was oinos, which is, once again, to be fermented, which is translated wine as well. So we have both the Hebrew word and the Greek word, yayin and oinos, indicating to be fermented. So that's something that's really important when we're looking at this. So the question is, did Jesus drink wine? Well, in Sunday school, they always said that Jesus made, what Jesus made was not wine. It was in fact grape juice, right? However, we just talked about that and that as actually seems like it's patently false. And according to Jewish tradition, weddings were always served with fermented wine, not grape juice. So Jesus was at a wedding as we all know, his very first miracle, where alcohol was definitely being served. This is because, as the Bible says, wine makes glad the hearts of men. I want us to read this carefully. John chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, this is right after Jesus turned it into wine. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. You have kept the good wine until now. Um, and that phrase there, drunk freely, is the Greek word methuo. And I want to unpack this for a second. So here, at the wine, he says, hey, whoa, what's going on here? You're doing this in reverse order. Uh, don't you know that you serve the good wine first and then the poor wine why well because when you first start the party you need to you know you're probably a bit more appreciative of the good stuff and the, you know they put their best foot forward so to speak and then as it goes on nobody cares as much but the word methuo here is interesting the word methuo is the word exclusively used when dealing with alcohol in fact it can sometimes indicate when they had drunk not just drunk freely but when they had like you know little turnt is that the word that the kids are saying these days i don't know but you know they're not they're probably a little buzzed let's just be honest so but the word methuo is just meaning when they had drunk alcohol that is an ex exclusive word for that kind of like when we say do you drink we're not asking do you drink as in like do you drink any kind of beverage we're asking do you drink alcohol? Do you drink, right? Well, same thing. That phrase is a context used specifically for that, but we don't really have a word for it. I'm doing my be the best with what I got. <laughs> so anyway, in Luke 7, 33 through 35, Jesus actually drank wine and was accused of being a drunkard, and John the Baptist did not and was accused of being a demon-possessed. I find that to be funny. And then Jesus, turning water into wine, though, this being his first miracle, this is actually of historical significance. So, wine was always a sign of wealth, prosperity, and blessing, where drunkenness was always, you know, a sign of worldliness, sensuality, and sin, but wine itself was considered a blessing. And I'm not talking about carnal drunkenness, obviously, but anyway. Look at these passages. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. The compassion of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. And remember, that's the word, yayin. Without money and without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is, does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Then we see Psalms 104, 14 through 15. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. And I and again, we see Yayin here, yeah, Yayin, I'm, in, in the, I'm, I'm talking Hebrew here, uh, to gladden the hearts of man. So we see that it is used in a celebratory context. Amos 9.14 says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And Ecclesiastes 9.7 says this, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Now my question is, is how can God already approve of what you do if what you do is wrong? See, we say as Christians, uh, those who are opposed, we go, well, no, that is a sin or it's wrong or it's not wise. But how can God approve of it if it isn't wise or if it is wrong? Well, that doesn't make sense. Of course, God can't approve of sin or that which is foolish. So inherently, this here is objectively stating that there is not a sin to having a drink. That, and you know, again, this messed me up. This took me, I, I was bound and determined to prove people wrong on this and I ended up proving myself wrong. And it's hard to humble yourself that way. So notice Isaiah 24, nine through 13 also shows a desolate picture and it expresses that there's no wine or blessing from God. It's interesting. In fact, everything was downtrodden and torn in that entire passage. Jesus committing his very first miracle at a wedding feast, which is the church is the bride of Christ. So think about that. He's the groom, he, he's the groom and we're the, we're the bride. And him commit doing this blessing at a wedding, coincidence, I think not. And turning water into wine, an expression of God's blessing. This is not a coincidence. So now I want to talk about Paul and Timothy. So let's, let's take this a step further. Paul expressly forbids drunkenness. Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but filled with the Spirit. So he's talking expressly, what are we filled with? Are we going to be filled with carnality and drunkenness and the things of this world? Or are we going to be filled with the Spirit and God's blessing and, who he, and his person, really? I, that's what we ought to be striving for, not the wasteful things of this world, not the vanity of this. Then Paul commands Timothy, so remember, he forbids drunkenness and debauchery, and then he goes, he tells Timothy this, 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. He says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The point is here is that Timothy was sick all the time because this might be a surprise to some of you, but their water wasn't very clean back then. I mean, we think Flint had a water crisis. They, people could get sick easily off of any water from any city. And sometimes it would upset their stomach. And so he was like, hey, stop drinking so much water, have some wine, it'll help settle your stomach. All right, so avoid that, have, have some of that, it's okay. Now, of course, what is gonna come up 
with this, and rightfully so, it should be discussed, is how do you reconcile the stumbling block principle? Well, I'm gonna do a whole separate video on uh, individual soul liberty, and we're gonna talk about ins and outs of how all of this would work, but the way we reconcile this is relatively simple. First thing to note is that Paul says it was the weaker brother in 1 Corinthians 8.11. So we have to understand that he's referring to the weaker brother, not mature Christians, okay, when he's referring to the stumbling block. Paul said he wouldn't eat meat or drink of wine if it caused his brother to stumble, which is rightfully so. If I know someone struggles with drunkenness, if I know someone struggles with pornography addiction or anything like that, I am going to avoid all those, anything, internet, anything, from the porn guy, from wine, from all that, anything that you struggle with, I'm going to avoid that around you, okay? I'm going to completely withdraw all those issues away from you. Why? Because I don't want to cause you to stumble in, as my weaker brother. Now, that's not saying I'm this great strong brother either. I have my own weaknesses. So we need to be aware of, hey, how are, what things do they struggle with and how can I help them not stumble in those things? Because what you might be able to do and engage in, in Christian liberty, someone else might not be able to because they might not have that self-control. You know, we don't choose our struggles. So this later, how, so Remember that Paul says, I won't drink of wine or eat of meat if it causes my brother to stumble. But then later he wrote to Timothy to drink wine. So this wasn't a blanket rule. If, if he was saying that, hey, wine can make someone stumble, so I absolutely forbid it, he would not have told Timothy later to go ahead and do it. That doesn't make sense. That would be a complete contradiction in Paul's character and in his writings. What he is obviously saying here is that, hey, when you're around these people, help them. Don't make, put something in front of them that makes them stumble. Pay attention to the weaker brother and treat them carefully to not stumble in their walk. Be loving, be caring. And then the other thing that gets brought up is, well, my family was destroyed by alcohol. Family, uh, my father was destroyed by alcohol. My wife was, my, my wife, no. My mother was beaten because of alcohol, but was it really? Was it really destroyed because of alcohol? Not really. We're all individually people. We are all individually, therefore, responsible. It is not the alcohol. It is the person. You can't blame a, the object for the deeds of the individual who uses the object. Uh, the Bible makes clear what is sin and what is not. And he says, hey, this is the sin of excess, which is the sin of drunkenness, the sin of gluttony. Anything, any, too much of anything, any, any good thing could be a bad thing, right? Any, and that's just how our sin nature is to abuse those things, or to abuse any of those good things that we have. So it's not the alcohol's fault, all right? You can't blame the alcohol any more than you can blame the gun. You know, like, the, it's really funny because I actually had this conversation with somebody who disagreed with me, and uh, they were very pro-gun and very Second Amendment, and, you know, huh, well, all right, America, let's go. But the point is, is I, I even asked this, this guy, I was like, so when someone gets shot with a gun, is it the gun's fault or is it the person's fault? He goes, it's the person's fault. It's like, I can't stand all these crazy people trying to get rid of my guns and saying it's the gun's fault. That's ridiculous. I was like, well, it's funny because you're telling me that alcohol is bad because it destroyed your family and you're blaming the object over here, but you won't blame the object over here. Where's your consistency? And we see that also with God. Like how, 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 why would God like 
com <laughs> completely say an object alone is evil, is how objects are used that are evil or good. You know, it can be money. Money is a great example of that as well. I can use money for great things. I can be wealthy and use my wealth to build things for God and get, give to the poor and do charities, or I can use that money to build myself an empire and crush the person underneath my heel. Anything can be used for good or bad. It depends on what the object is, of course. Remember, we are to care for our own bodies as the temples of God. However, when we care for ourselves in excess, it becomes selfishness and pride. We are to eat and sustain ourselves, but in excess, it can become gluttony. We are to provide for our families, but when we focus on that only in a financial sense, it becomes greed. We are to care about our testimonies, but in excess, we become man pleasers. We are to be good stewards about our futures, but in excess, we have a lack of faith. Likewise, someone can drink an adult beverage, but in excess, it can become drunkenness. It's really amazing how God creates Christian liberty. He goes, hey, here's your boundaries. Here's where you can work in, but be respectful and loving of one another. And before someone says, oh, but that's two-faced. No, it's not. It's being respectful. See, we do this all the time. I have family members who think that, see, I have a Star Wars Y-Wing right now in the background made of Legos, and by the way, it's awesome, and I don't care if I'm a 12-year-old at heart. I am, it's awesome. Star Wars is one of my favorite things. But I have a family member who thinks Star Wars is evil and is sinful, and he's, and he's very uncomfortable around it. So guess what I do when I'm around him? I avoid the topic because I don't want to create division. And that's, that's all there is to this. Like, we can say, yes, this is what the Bible says, you're at, you're, you have freedom to drink, but you also have freedom not to. I'm not forcing you. I'm not saying that you should. I'm saying that you, as a Christian, can make your own personal decision. Uh, I, I recently heard this uh, from somebody as well uh, on my page, and it was, and they said, uh, the, um, they're like, of course a Christian can drink, but the question is, should they? Well, <laughs> I can't answer that for you. That's the individual soul liberty. That is your decision to be able to make. And I'm not I, to say that you can or can't is to kind of overstep my boundaries as a as an individual and as a pastor. And for me to forbid it entirely is to completely overstep the boundaries of the Bible where clearly God allowed that freedom to take place. I am not at that liberty to do that. I don't have the authority to overstep that far. But the, this whole idea of should I can but should you're really, really on dicey territory when God says, I approve of what you do, but then you say, well, God, should you? I mean, you're in that position where God is freely allowing something and you're the one who's expressing doubt on it. And I'm just saying when that was something that God really worked in my heart on about five years ago was things I was forbidding. I, was, I quickly started realizing that, oh my goodness, I'm overstepping some major grounds and doing the whole, well, should you? That is the instant step into legalism, right? And also taking man's wisdom, conventional wisdom, a man's opinion and equalizing it or, if, or greater than God. Or you're saying, God, here's your rules. But I think you missed a few things, so I'm going to add a few more on top of it for everyone else. That's really, really dicey territory. So... I just want to close with that thought and just the question. So can a Christian drink alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. Should they? You have to make that decision for yourself. Should you also look down on somebody if they do? No. But also, 
There are people who have been are drunkards. There are people who really struggle with this. So be mindful as well. You need to go forward with wisdom and with vigilance. So I can't answer all that, those things, individual things for you. I can only tell you what the Bible says, all right? Be careful, be cautious, stay sober, stay vigilant, and make wise decisions regarding this topic, okay, class? <laughs> but anyway, I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, like, share, subscribe. Um, also on YouTube, they have that new notifications bell because subscriptions aren't enough anymore. You can't just subscribe. You have to tell them you also want to know when it comes up. So hit that if you're interested. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to message us and I will definitely try to respond. Or if you have a request for me to talk about a certain topic, I would love to do that. So anyway, uh, my name is Will. This has been The Church Split.